Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by Felix Gray. Today's guest is someone who has had a wild health journey, as well as a challenging journey with navigating her mom's mental health. This led Adrienne Nolan Smith to creating her business, WellBe. Welcome, Adrienne. Thank you so much for having me, Harper. Of course. So happy we finally made this work. I know scheduling was not so fun, but we're here now. Yes. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. So as you said, my name is Adrian Nolan Smith, and I'm from New York City, which is always shocking to people that someone would actually raise children here, but I was uh, born and raised on the island of Manhattan. And I am the founder of something called Welby, which is a media education and navigation company dedicated entirely to helping people prevent and reverse chronic health issues naturally. I'm also a board-certified patient advocate and a speaker. Awesome. So let's dig right into this. You were diagnosed with Lyme disease when you were 11 years old. How did that come to be? What kind of symptoms did you have? Tell us about that. Yeah. So because I was a city rat kid, my family was lucky enough to have like a summer escape cottage place in Lyme, Connecticut, which is really, really kind of funny, especially because it took a while for my mom to figure out what was going on with especially my younger brother, who had symptoms that were much more severe than mine. And then it was him getting positively diagnosed that made them look at me and say, maybe that's what's wrong with her too. Wow. And then I was diagnosed too. So neither of us ever saw a bite, which is a really common thing with Lyme patients. And his symptoms were you know, extreme joint pain, like screaming bloody murder joint pain in his knees, especially a lot of sort of learning disability type symptoms that, of course, you know, doctors just like, oh, he has learning disabilities. And my mom was like, no, something else is going on here. This kid just didn't like he was doing better before this. His cognitive development as a toddler was better, but they think he had had it undiagnosed for years, like maybe seven or eight years. I don't think I had it nearly that long. My symptoms were really extreme fatigue, like really, really extreme, where I couldn't walk more than maybe like a block without needing to sit down. And I couldn't get out of bed for the life of me in the morning. And I also had a lot of short-term memory issues. So like looking at a piece of paper and then looking away and not knowing what it said or somebody telling me their name and then I couldn't recall it just seconds later. Over what period of time was this? Um, I think I really was only experiencing these kind of extreme symptoms for a year or two before I was diagnosed, which was really lucky versus my brother's situation. But again, it just shocked me that given where we spent time and the prevalence of Lyme, even then in the Northeast, that doctors were not on it sooner with my brother. And so, you know, it was kind of nice because we had each other as we were going through all this. But you know, my mom went to a Lyme doctor, conventional Lyme doctor. They give you the 
you know, doxycycline or the whatever the antibiotic protocol is. But she was just a ferocious researcher. I mean, she was a, you know, former management consultant turned stay at home mom of three and was just, you know, I think we only had like Alta Vista at that point, but she was like on that, you know, and talked to forgot about that. Everybody, everybody. So she really approached us getting better like a consulting project. You know, she was really uh, aggressive. And so we did the Lyme, uh, antibiotic Lyme treatment, but she was pretty sure it wasn't going to work because she thought we'd had it for too long, which was totally what happened. So we still had symptoms after the antibiotics. And of course, what did they offer you? More antibiotics and more, you know, different forms of it, IV treatment, you know, this, that. And she just said, no, thanks. That's not the answer. You're going to ruin these kids' immune systems from everything I understand. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And she took us on like really crazy journey to the point where I thought she was, you know, this was all a giant waste of money and time. But lo and behold, two years of all these different treatments later, my Lyme was in remission and my symptoms were, you know, more or less relieved. And my younger brother, because he was so much more sick, he took longer, but he still was, you know, sort of free of his symptoms by the time he was, I'd say, 15 or so. And he was diagnosed at age eight, which is still a long time, but he was able to, you know, go to an amazing college and play sports. And so he had a, you know, sort of full recovery then too. That's awesome. So what were the types of things that your mom was having you guys explore and what do you believe worked that got you into remission? Some of the things that really stand out to me were we had a very strict diet. We weren't allowed to eat wheat. You know, back then nobody talked about gluten. It was just wheat. Um, we couldn't eat any dairy that wasn't some goat's milk here and there. We couldn't have any sugar. Um, Did I, your mom follow any sort of diet like that before you guys had these health issues? I mean, was she really in the sort of wellness scene, pre-wellness scene? That's a really good question because later I'll explain more about my mom. But she had postpartum depression with my older brother, big hormonal swings, and had gained a lot of weight and, you know, hadn't before that. And I think was really like, whoa, and also had free time sort of for the first time in her adult life because she didn't go back to work. Both of my parents grew up totally American middle class, white bread, you know, American cheese, all of that. Um, she was a Navy brat. My grandfather was a submarine captain. So they moved every two years. She was one of nine. So Whoa. the wellness scene was not her, uh, not her scene, but she realized that she needed help. And she started to look into all these things that could be wrong with her as far as her gut and hormones. And it was amazing. She never really treated all of them successfully on herself, but she made a lot of progress and then was able to really help us. She didn't understand, I think, enough about the gut's role. And so had she, I think, really focused on that, a lot of the other hormonal issues would have improved. But anyway, so she found all these natural practitioners and from that experience and really started to understand a lot about diet. So luckily, we were already starting to eat a lot better even before, you know, the full Lyme diagnosis. But it really like, you know, became a sport about how, you know, well we could eat and no one really wanted to play at our house because we had, you know, duck breast with sprouts for lunch with like Eden soy milk or whatever. Like it was just, you know. No Oreos at your house. Oh, my God. Not even close. Like, you know, some parents now will do like the organic fake version of Oreo. No, like that was not even. I think we had a wheat free 
carob chip cookie that crumbled in your hand when you ate it. That was like the closest thing we came to having sweets. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty terrible. So that was important. We took loads of supplements. We saw a Chinese herbalist in Flushing who had these horrible teas. I mean, they smelled so bad and tasted so bad. It was like vomit inducing and our whole house smelled like it. Um, for years because of the Lyme stuff. And I had to like take it with me if I was going on a sleepover. I mean, it's just brutal. More extreme, I spent three weeks of a summer with my younger brother and my mom in a Motel 6 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country, uh, doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So getting in the tank for several hours a day. I think that was really helpful. I can't be sure because we were also, you know, following this diet and taking supplements and all of that at the same time. And then the very last summer that I was sick, we spent another three or four weeks in a Motel 6 or something similar in Mankato, Minnesota, in this tiny town. And we're doing a somewhat illegal treatment, which is still an orphan drug phase and was then called hyperimmune bovine colostrum therapy. And it's very, very complicated, but essentially the idea is that you put your blood into cows and then they develop antibodies for Lyme and then you drink their colostrum, which is the first few days of mother's milk. And yeah, so in order to give my blood routinely, it took several weeks and then you pack up all this colostrum with this you know, dairy cow and take it home on ice and I would have to walk around school swishing, you know, two tablespoons of colostrum under my tongue like every two hours for like a whole year of school. Seventh grade when you're like, oh my God, all you want to do is like have your first kiss and not be the weirdo. Yeah. Did you feel like the weirdo? No. I mean, I was really lucky in that um, I had a really cool older brother and, you know, grew boobs early and things like that. So I was not, (laughs) I was not like the outcast or whatever. And I just, you know, I already, I had friends and Did they ask about it? I'm always so curious about like childhood and how much people share about what they're going through, especially as kids. Did your friends like know that you were trying to figure out, you know, what you were going through and and getting a solution? So I think the part of it that was uncomfortable and embarrassing for me was more like my mom. Like they thought that she was really the one that was such a wacko and out there. And I was just kind of having to do what she said, which wasn't untrue, but I always felt like a little embarrassed and awkward about like her as far as all the things she was making us do. And she was just an extremely eccentric, amazing, over-the-top, warm personality and, you know, not like all the other moms as far as like she didn't wear the right clothes and, you know, she didn't care about makeup and things like that. So I kind of loop in my feeling like a weirdo with all the treatments into just like, oh, my mom's a weirdo and she's making me do this. But I personally didn't, you know, really think what she was doing was that crazy I because I saw that we were, you know, getting better. And I saw also that the there were some other Lyme patients we knew who had been years and years and years on IVs and no real progress. I mean, they might feel a little better and then they get worse and a little. And whereas she was like figuring other stuff out. So I thought that was commendable. Even though it was, you know, as a middle schooler, I was like, Mom, oh, my God, so embarrassing. And like, <laughs> I have this memory of her taking my blood in this car. It must have been 110 degrees sitting in the middle of this farm outside the barn. And it's baking hot sun in Minnesota. And there's like a crack in the window. And she doesn't know how to take my blood, but there's nobody else to do it because it's like an illegal operation. So 
she finally finds the vein and it's squirting like oh projectile onto the window and like hits like just below the top of the window and then all the flies outside smell it and they're like desperately trying to get in the window and so there's like a hundred flies trying to get through this crack and like eat the blood and I just remember looking at her and looking at my blood squirting out of my arm being like so overheated I was also like sweating profusely and I was just like mom this is it like I am never trusting you again with anything (laughs) like take me home to New York I just want to go to camp like a normal kid or whatever. What is this life? Yeah. Whoa, that is wild. I was like, forget it. I don't have symptoms anymore. You know, like I just almost was like I'm ready to lie to like get out of these treatments. But, you know, what's interesting is you acknowledge something that I want to make sure we address, which is that you did all of this stuff around the same time where you're changing your diet. You're doing these different treatments and taking supplements and all this stuff. How do you determine which of those things worked or was it the culmination of all of it, especially given what it is that you do with well-be these days? That's a great question. And I think that the answer, and I've seen this with a lot of the patient stories that I filmed for well-be as well, is that there's pretty much never one thing, unless it's something very easy, like somebody has celiac disease and it's like, oh, well, okay. But even then, if they're recovering from years of undiagnosed celiac They're going to have to do a lot, not just stop eating to repair their gut. You know, just stopping eating gluten is not going to do the trick. They have to do a lot more than that. And all of the diseases that I've seen, it's like there's usually some mindfulness component. That was not part of ours, but I think kids are so resilient that you can heal even if you're not necessarily working on the mind or some sort of perception change either or. There's a huge diet component usually. Some sense of herbs and supplements as well. And then usually also getting into some of these more where people have been sick for longer, these different forms of detoxification type things where you're attacking it either with homeopathics or with, you know, these saunas that everyone's, you know, all the rage right now or um, these Ayurvedic type things for detox or even the hyperbaric oxygen was, you know, a form of detox. The colostrum was unique in that I really had a bacterial infection and Lyme is so brilliant that it morphs and like can get around the antibiotics and hide in different areas. So the antibody piece of it, I think for people that have a live bacteria or virus that they just cannot seem to kill with, you know, whatever is available to them is something I think was really interesting and different and hadn't really, I still don't hear that much about it, but it made a lot of sense to me about, you know, it's actually sort of like the current immunotherapy that's developing for cancer. It's like if your own immune system isn't recognizing the signals to kill something that's within you, let's do something to get something else in there that knows where to go and what to look for so that it can then do it. Yeah. And hopefully something that's not super harmful to your body like chemo or whatever. So um no, it's definitely an interesting route to take. And I give your mom credit for, you know, exploring all these things and trying to figure out, even if she was looked at as the weirdo, figuring out what it was to cure her kids. So you were in remission as of like 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so what's your health been like since then? So I had great health from about 13 to 18. Totally normal high school kid, played sports, whatever. I mean, we still ate pretty well at home, but I never really, I still ate, you know, crappy food at school and all that. And it was six months after I got to college that I lost my period, which was really weird because I'd had a normal period since I was 12. 
And um, about a year in, I started to get really worried and I didn't understand it. And my dad was really wanted me to take care of it, basically, because he was like, oh, no, you're going to be infertile. Um, So I start seeing all of these endocrinologists and gynecologists. I was at college at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, so I was able to see a lot of good doctors through the Hopkins system and then back in New York as well. And I really hadn't had much exposure to, I had a, you know, like a teenage, very conventional OBGYN, but you went in for like height and weight and maybe some blood tests once a year. But other than that, my family really didn't interact that much with the conventional healthcare system, luckily, because I just, you know, since the Lyme thing, I really hadn't needed it. And the natural practitioners seemed to be really helpful to us at that time. So that sort of stayed throughout high school, you know, chiropractors and such. So all of them had no answers for me. It was a total like, you know, kind of look at the numbers. Nothing's wrong with you. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, I'm not getting my period. What are you talking about? Nothing is wrong with me. Clearly something is wrong with me. And they're like, well, not that we can see. So why don't you just take the birth control pill? And, uh, you know, that's that. And just rush out of the office to the next patient. And for each one of them, I was kind of reminding them. And I think I only became this empowered from the Lyme experience. But doing my own research, I was, you know, adamant that that was not root cause medicine. I really was interested in actually curing the root cause and understanding why I'm not doing what every female body on earth from like age 12 to 50, give or take, does every single month. Like clearly something is up and I want my real period and I want to fix whatever the underlying cause is for me not getting it. And they just had zero interest and looked at me like a crazy person in actually figuring that out. And oh, well, you know, it could be a couple things like eh, and I'm like, well, let's figure out those couple things. Like, yeah, yeah. why is this such an afterthought? Like, so I also told them, look, I've read a lot about synthetic birth control and synthetic hormones, and I don't want that in my body. And I also feel like whatever's wrong with me is just going to get worse if I'm band-aiding it by getting a fake period every month. Like, the best thing about being a woman, I think, I mean, there's, there's lots of things, but is that you get this report card every month as to what's going on with you. And you can see, whereas a man could have a chronic illness developing for years and it takes something dramatic for them to find out because, you know, they're not having that. So lo and behold, I ended up back in the natural world. My father found this naturopath for me. And I think somebody's like wife that he knew or something had had a good experience with her in the same, you know, getting their period back. So I went to her and she looked at all of the blood work that I'd done so differently. We spent over an hour on it, you know, going through it line by line, understanding all of the different things that were going on with me at the time. And this goes back to your original question about like all the different things and, you know, what really worked and can you target that? And the same is true for what really screws up your hormones and your period. I mean, it's very rarely one thing. And I was looking for such a silver bullet. Like, what is the one thing so I can fix it? Like, can I not eat that thing? Do I, you know, need to stop using a certain product? You know, whatever. And what came out of it was really more like I lived in China a couple of times at that point, or at least, you know, for four months when I was 16. And when you're, uh, as much as I understood about, you know, natural medicine and healing, I didn't really understand that antibiotics were that bad for you. And when you're in China, you have China gut and China belly constantly. And at least as a Westerner. And so I was popping Cipro like it was Advil, you know. And I also realized that I'd gone from a pretty clean diet. I mean, I ate lunch at a school cafeteria, but breakfast and dinner at home most nights for my whole life to 
one of the unhealthiest cafeterias and throw on like drinking in college to, you know, the mix. And my body just was like, what on earth? You know, after six months of that, of all the processed foods and sugar and, you know, Red Bulls and just all that stuff, um, totally out of whack. And I mean, I still, you know, got a cab to a Whole Foods in Baltimore, my tiny, you know, fridge I shared with my roommate in the room, no kitchen, just not even a kitchenette or whatever my freshman year. I still was going to get a few things here and there. But I mean, how much can you actually fit in there for a whole week? I was still eating terribly. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Felix Gray. Most of us spend a lot of time looking at our cell phone, laptop and tablet screens. It's a big part of how we live and work. For many people, this can lead to headaches, dry eyes, and blurry vision. That's why some people, me included, turn to Felix Gray. Felix Gray makes blue light filtering glasses that are both fashionable and high quality. Their glasses filter out 90% of high-energy blue light and 99% of the glare coming from your screens. When I wear my Felix Gray glasses, I have the Roebling and the Nash, I definitely notice a huge difference in how my eyes feel at the end of the day. As a podcast host and business owner, I'm in some ways tied to my devices, so I feel good knowing that I'm taking care of my eyes when I have a long day of work. They're available in non-prescription, prescription, and reader varieties, as well as adult and kid sizes. I seriously love wearing my Felix Grays and couldn't recommend them more highly. To try a pair for yourself, go to felixgrayglasses.com slash visible. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash made visible. You get 10% off when you buy two pairs and 15% off when you buy three or more pairs. And now back to the show. So the diet, the, you know, kind of ruined gut from all of the antibiotics and parasites that I'd picked up in China. And then I think the just I'd had an underlying hypothyroid. Both of my mom and dad and my two brothers have it. So I don't want to blame it on that because I think there's a lot that I can do to overcome it. But I think I kind of started, you know, less than great with my thyroid. So the thyroid is a part of the period process. Um, The gut is a part of the hormonal balancing process. And then, you know, obviously the diet plays into the gut. And so the whole combination kicked it off and, you know, it couldn't recover, but it wasn't just one thing. So we really had to work on getting my diet back really, really clean. I wasn't, I still don't, which is crazy. I don't eat any raw foods that I don't wash myself. So I haven't had a salad in a restaurant in like 13 years, which is insane. I know because I mean, I was a total typical college girl. I thought I was going to get fat. So I ate salads constantly. You know, it was like my hedge against beer. Um, (laughs) at the frats and all of that. So as soon as she told me I couldn't, I was like, what? Like, what am I going to eat? You know? And it's still funny. Like if I'm in a restaurant and I'm just starving and I don't know what, like I have to eat French fries because they're cooked, which is insane because they're terrible for you too. But on my way to the studio today, a friend and I were meeting for lunch and we were looking at a few menus walking down the street. And it was all for me based on, I really know I feel crappy when I eat salad. So I can't eat in this restaurant because everything else vegetarian was not something I wanted to eat. It's just so crazy, but I'm with you, and I, you know, it's something I'm trying to explore more with my health and realizing that raw vegetables just kill me. Yeah, and so I use a special grapefruit seed extract to soak all my produce, and I, you know, I try to eat fresh breakfast and dinner, and if I'm home, lunch. But yeah, it's so different from the rest of the wellness community, and I meet very few people who 
are on board with me. But once in a while, I do. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was a huge part of my healing. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, well, it's a big thing in the Ayurvedic world, which I'm not super familiar with. So I don't want to talk of it too much because I don't know. But I do know when I talked to a friend of mine who went through training on that, she was like, of course, you need warm food. It's winter. And, you know, well, so the only thing that I understand about the connection between the warm foods and Ayurveda is also that in India, they have a lot of issues with parasites and bacteria and such. And so it was just a much safer thing to do for your gut to eat cooked foods. And, you know, same with China, you see very few raw foods. So I think it's the right thing to do, but I think it came from a place of need. And I think, you know, obviously the most nutrients that you can eat are in raw foods, but you also, in an era of industrialization and globalization of food, you have no idea who's touching your food and how many different people it's gone through and where it was stored and how and all the things growing on it. And it's, you know, if your gut is weak, it could be like just the last parasite that breaks the the guts back, you know? So having been through that, I'm just so cautious. But I do know that raw food is important in certain forms. And when I'm home, I make a really concerted effort to eat a salad or to eat fruit because I know I can't have it elsewhere. Um, And when I travel, I'll bring the grapefruit seed extract with me and try to, you know, buy some things in the hotel room or something like that and soak. And That's a good tip to know. I wasn't familiar with the grapefruit seed thing. So I'm going to transition us a little bit because I want to hear more about where you're at now, what Wellbe is, how you got into that, Do you decide to start this company because of your health and your family's health and this interest in the wellness world? What is well-being? Where to come from? Well, I'll finish that story very quickly to say that after six months of supplements, Chinese herbs, this stricter diet, and a little bit of acupuncture, I got my period back and it's been normal for 13 years and haven't missed one. And she said, you know, do this religiously for six months and it will come back. It was like six months and a day later. And it was wild. And so I think that was kind of my strike two of what's led me to Welby. And like, you know, I never thought that I was going to work in health and wellness. It was just this thing that everybody made fun of me about and that I knew a lot about. And slowly it became something I was interested in as well. And what were you doing before? So when I graduated from college, I actually worked in manufacturing for a year in Hong Kong. So that was just- Whoa, whole other world. Yeah. And then I worked for three years for IBM. And then it was not my life's calling, I could tell, but I really didn't know what it was. And so the thing that's really led me to doing what I'm doing now was actually coming back to my mom. Um, She was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder when I was just graduating from college, like two months later. And essentially, she had a manic episode, and my brothers and I had to have her put in, you know, a city jail mental facility in the middle of the night because she was so paranoid and delusional and, you know, thought people were trying to kill her and it was a mess. And so I then became a caretaker for her because my parents had divorced and my uncle was her legal guardian and I was representing the kids and he was, you know, doing a lot of the clerical admin work. And she went through various mental hospitals. She was drugged out of her mind with antipsychotics and mood stabilizers. I had no exposure to the mental health care system before this. And it was like a total disaster. Like I just thought the care couldn't have been more uncoordinated. There was absolutely no interest in a root cause analysis of why she might have been having, you know, these mental health symptoms, like none. It was just, let's give her this blanket 
term as a diagnosis. You know, what the heck does that mean? If you really dig into it, schizoaffective disorder means a collection of symptoms, including paranoia, delusion, you know. Oh, my God. Exactly. And same with depression. Depression is a symptom. It's not a, you know, it's to say it's a condition doesn't give it certain. You want to know why, you know, what is the underlying root cause of why you're having depression as a symptom? And so it was really traumatic. And eventually I had decided that I wanted to go to business school because I didn't really know what my next step was, but I thought maybe I could figure it out there and I'd been working in business and blah, blah, blah. So I was two weeks away from finishing my applications and it was right before Christmas and she took her life. And it was just like threw me for a loop. Like I could not, you know, I didn't think I was going to be able to finish the applications, much less actually go to business school. But my friends were tremendous in rallying to get these applications out. And I sort of decided I threw away, you know, everything that I'd already kind of written about as far as why I wanted to go and just said, like, this is a totally broken system. And I want to dedicate the rest of my life to solving these problems and fixing the healthcare system so nobody else has to go through what I've gone through and my mom and my family went through. And, you know, root cause medicine and sort of a wellness and everyday approach to healthcare or understanding that your 100 choices you're making every single day with what you put in your mouth or don't or take or use or see or do is really your healthcare. And that one annual visit is nothing. You know, use it for the blood test, but your healthcare is every single day. And there were so many clues about why my mom had, you know, over the 58 years before her diagnosis that she had, you know, accumulated these issues with, I mentioned she had gut problems, Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue, severe emotional trauma from childhood that she never dealt with, you know, parasites, but you know, all this stuff. And just like nobody tried to actually peel the onion back and look and see what was really going on. And even just some detoxifying, you know, foods and herbs for all the drugs because, you know, those drugs are like being drunk all day on your liver. It's horrendous. Nothing, nothing like that. I'm not even sure the psychiatrist ever really communicated with the therapist she was supposed to be talking to. I mean, it was like she was just there for the drugs and dosing and that was it. So I did get into business school and I went and I, the whole time I was there, I was trying to talk to people about, you know, anybody who had talked to me about integrative medicine and wellness and nobody knew what I was talking about. And in Chicago, especially, it was like, what? And so they kind of pushed me into the digital health world because there was nowhere else to put me. And so I started Wellbe when I was there in a class with some engineers, some coders from the engineering school and one other business school student. And what year is this? It was probably 2012 when I started it. And, you know, there wasn't really Instagram yet. It was kind of a funny time. And I didn't really know if there was a world out there that would ever be receptive to. At the time, it was a community and kind of like a search engine for people who were searching for non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical health solutions, which is funny because it's not like entirely dissimilar now, but just took a different form. And I graduated and I moved home with my dad in New York and I was like, oh my gosh, am I ready to do this? Like from what I saw, you know, I co-ran the entrepreneurship club at Northwestern or Kellogg where I went and I saw founder after founder say like, this is going to be your life. Like you can't do anything else for however many years it takes. So I ultimately decided I wanted to work in the healthcare system first because I thought I knew what was wrong and 
I wanted to see actually from inside whether that was the case. So I worked in digital health or healthcare technology with hospitals for three years. So I was in a hospital like every week for three years. And I knew the problem I was trying to solve. And it was very sad, but also extremely eye-opening to see how it was not being solved. And chronic disease patient after chronic disease patient coming into the hospital and hospitals asking for my help with trying to you know, keep them out of the hospital for 30 days so they didn't get these readmission penalties. And it would be a heart failure patient. And the only thing really prescribed to them would be drugs and a follow-up appointment, drugs and a follow-up appointment. And I'm like, no one wants to talk to a heart failure patient about their diet. Like, that's all of heart failure, you know, I mean, for the most part, unless it's, you know, like some genetic condition. So it was really eye-opening. And eventually I quit and it was the scariest thing I've ever done. And I decided that I wanted to tell, like you, I wanted to tell the stories because I love the facts and I love proof that you can heal from chronic illness if you can get to the root of the problem and that you can do certain things, put in the right outputs, take out the wrong inputs to get your immune system to actually do the work for you. And it takes certain kinds of doctors and practitioners to actually be able to get to the root cause and do the hard work with you of getting there and changing everything you need to change in your lifestyle to do it, which is a lot of work. I mean, we both know. And also that there's a lot of research and people say that natural medicine, integrative, holistic, whatever, woo-woo is in science. And yet I see science all day long from reputable academic institutions that are doing it, showing exactly that. And more and more these days on especially gut health. And so I, you know, started filming stories of real patients, real people, and a lot of these, you know, sort of functional and integrative MDs and other experts that sort of sat between the healthcare system and the wellness movement, you know, on various topics and started to do these research wrap-ups. So helping people to see all this research that was coming out and digested and kind of like at the skim format. And having panels and events where people could interact with these practitioners and doctors to see that they weren't woo-woo weirdos, but they were, in fact, well-trained and right. smart, competent people that were deciding to practice this way because they believed it was the right thing to do. And even if you know, it went against their training or whatever it was. Um, so that's kind of how WellBe evolved and started. And now I'm just in the process of actually listening to my community as they're asking for help with certain things that I've been kind of too busy making content. And we actually launched the WellBe podcast as well in July of 2018. So this July will be one year of that too. Famous made visible. Really? Yeah. It's a good time to launch apparently. So I'm building out different sort of educational and navigational resources now because I am realizing that people are listening and wanting to make changes and I'm sort of leaving them at leaving them hanging a little bit with not giving enough help and guidance. So it's, you know, a lot of work, but I'm going to be launching some things for them in the next couple of months. That's amazing. I love that you're doing this. And I love that you sort of integrated all of your experience in your health and obviously dealing with your mom and really recognizing what you stood for and what was important to you and seeing what was not working and wanting to make an impact on other people's lives going through this stuff. And with that said, you also mentioned that you're a board-certified patient advocate. What does that mean? Yes. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, so I saw this new certification. There's only a couple hundred of us in the country that are actually certified. But I decided to sit for this board exam in early 2018 to 
basically dump everything that I had learned in working in the conventional healthcare system into, you know, before I forgot it all. And luckily I passed, but I'm actually now licensed to work, you know, privately with clients to navigate them through the healthcare system. And I think I'm sort of bastardizing it a little bit in the sense that I have a specific focus and it's really meant for people to go through like, you know, the totally conventional system, cancer care or whatever it might be. Um, But I kind of realized that, you know, with a lot of change, it usually comes from people that, you know, understand and operate in some fashion within the conventional system and then say, you know what, I believe there's a different way and can, you know, see it from a different side or a different um, viewpoint. And so I thought, well, if I can have this certification and then just sort of help guide people to practitioners and doctors that I think are really going to get to their root cause issue and really you know, do the hard work with them. And, you know, there's a lot of people here in New York and maybe LA, but in some of these other parts, like they're few and far between and hard to find. And so I get a lot of requests for trying to find them. And I, you know, don't want to navigate people without doing the due diligence myself. So that's sort of part of the patient advocacy certification is that I'm actually going to sort of dig into this stuff and do the, you know, navigation for people. I'm not using it too much right now as like a one-on-one because I have so much to do with Welby, but it's definitely, you know, part of my sort of plans for the future of Welby and helping people to get to the right folks. I love that because it's obviously so necessary and oftentimes, and we've heard with so many other episodes and guests that people just don't even know where to begin. And if you're not your own advocate, who's advocating for you? So to have someone like you who's really doing that work is huge. And I think people who have never gone through something like this before, like I mentioned, I was able to stand up for myself with a lot of really big, big doctors when I was trying to figure out my period or amenorrhea issues. Had I not seen my mom doing that when I was a kid with these Lyme doctors, I would have never felt that was okay. I mean, we all grew up in this doctor worship culture where whatever they say goes and there's not a sense of like, thank you so much for your opinion. I really value it. Um, I'll consider it, but I'll let you know. That took a lot of pain and misery to learn that. And so I also feel like I'm not only able to advocate for other people who feel like they can't use their voice in that way or are lost, but also to teach them the skills to do it on their own so that they can show that they know what they're doing and are less, I think, shuffled around the system because the doctors are sort of like, whoa, they're sort of speaking my language and I'm not just going to be able to push them out the door. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. And I think the work you're doing is incredible. So thank you for doing it. So where can people learn more about you and Welby and the amazing stuff that you've got going on? Well, thank you, Harper. Um, Welby is actually Get Welby on every possible platform. Our website is getwellby.com and there's the Welby podcast. You can just search Get Welby in your podcast app. Get well beyond Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube are major social channels. So the best places to interact with us are our newsletter, which is weekly, and then our um, Instagram channel, and then our podcast, I'd say. Amazing. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Harper. This is great. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com 
follow Made Visible podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.